As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. You're listening to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today we react to an incredible result at Anfield as Liverpool stick seven past Manchester United. But will it affect either of those sides' seasons? Arsenal leave it late to beat Bournemouth at the Emirates. Is that going to be the defining moment in this year's title race? We will also check in on what's going on at the bottom of the table with a big result for Southampton and Wolves. A Crystal Palace, though, being dragged right into it. And we'll also get a little update on the hacker at Queen's Park Rangers. This is the game. Hi, welcome back to the Game Podcast. I am Hugh Wizencroft. Uh, what a weekend of football in the Premier League. Here to help me through it all, uh, Gregor Robertson, Alison Rudd and Matt Dickinson. Welcome back. How are you, Matt? I'm good. Um, yeah, as long as we're not going to talk about QPR, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Can't promise it, to be honest. Maybe a few words at the end of the podcast. Where should we begin, guys? I, I, I'm not quite sure. Um, let's start then at Anfield. At Manchester United collapsing in the second half, conceding six as Liverpool seal an, a historic win over their arch rivals. Puts them within three points of the top four with a game in hand. But of course... It's the scoreline that we need to reflect on, I think, most uh, poignantly, if you like. A 7-0 thrashing was United's joint heaviest competitive defeat. It matches those by the same score against Blackburn Rovers in April of 1926, Aston Villa in December of 1930, and Wolves in December 1931. So, Manchester United's worst result in about 92 years. Um... Liverpool's biggest ever competitive win against Manchester United as well, which surpassed their previous best in October of 1895. So fair to say it's uh, it's more than a generational result here, um, probably once in a lifetime. So uh, it was it was incredible. Um, and, you know, for, for me, the question is really, what does it mean? We'll get to the details of the game. But um, it was interesting to see the reaction. Some Manchester United fans doesn't mean much at all. Liverpool fans, ah, oh, you thought we were done. We're, we're back to our absolute best, which I don't think we saw that either, to be perfectly honest, despite the scoreline. So it was incredible. And of course, a big change from what we've seen from Manchester United of late. What is the meaning of this result? Will there be a bigger meaning for either of these two teams? Well, first of all, as you brought history into it, I think something spooky happened. I The first game I went to ever at Anfield was the 7-0 demolition of Spurs. And it might seem odd to say, but the backdrop was pretty similar in that all the hype before that game was about how Spurs were 
a coming force. They had their new Argentine strikers that we were blessed that they'd gone to Spurs in the first place. They were the sexy team. They were really built up in much the same way that I think a lot of the build-up to this game was about how well Eric Ten Hag had done to bring the fight back to Man United. They'd won the first of myriad trophies this, you know, the <laughs> weekend before. And so... Um, it sounds like I'm being clever after the event, but I have evidence. Though <laughs> I was saying before kickoff, it it felt like that, and I did feel that Liverpool might score quite a lot of goals. So when it started to unfold during the match, I felt that by the time United imploded, they were acting like a team that had been sold a dud narrative. It, they believed, I think, that Liverpool were on the way down. They weren't quite the force they were. They've had a up-and-down season. And because they were in such a good space, I genuinely think United thought they would get a really, really good result out of it. And when it didn't pan out that way, it all... You know, it was like watching a, a computer sort of spark with water over it, sort of sort of going blip, blip, blip. It, they, they couldn't handle it being so different to what they thought it would be. I don't think the history of football results like this ever have a deep meaning, Hugh. Um, Liverpool, at the very start of the season, you know, were beating Bournemouth 9-0 and then they've, they've got this thing where they sort of score their goals in batches and then, you know, I can quite easily believe they'll go to Bournemouth and it'll be 0-0. You know, it's like, it's not, it doesn't have, the scoreline doesn't have meaning, but I think it, sh it underlines really what an absolutely wacky, mad season we're having that... I mean, this isn't this isn't the only mad result of the the weekend, even, is it? Mm. I mean, it's just utterly bizarre. But I do, I I don't think it means that we were wrong to think United are back on track. I just think possibly they weren't they weren't prepared for what happens at Anfield when things go against you. What you need to have inside you, they didn't have it, and that was quite visible and tangible. I mm. felt. Mm. Matt, your reflections. Um, I think probably it's just watching, yeah, as you said, players who have done so much right and so well, making such colossal errors. You know, when you see Dello standing behind the goal line, is it for that last goal? I mean, you, you, you just see players who have, yeah, been, you know, um, uh, just doing all the basics right, just completely abandon it, and you know, and as you see Bruno Fernandes sort of, you know, standing in the centre circle, basically saying, get me off the pitch. He's the United's captain. You see Martinez sort of tripping over his own legs. I mean, it 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 it, it was genuinely jaw-dropping. I mean, it took you back to... It was like the, all those months since the Brentford defeat hadn't happened, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. It was, you know... Um, but I think Alisson's right. I mean, you know, we get freak results. You know, we've seen, you know, was it Arsenal? Arsenal concede eight at Old Trafford once, you know, they, 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 you know no one was saying that season was... a a sort of write-off from there. I think, you know, we do get blips, but I think, you know, it's still... Gen it was just genuinely jaw-dropping to see top players uh, collapse mentally. Ah, uh, uh, he, he said top players there. Well, Brett, I think Brett, <laughs> well, well, I'm not sure. Well, well, we saw sure. it within, within the game itself. I thought Luke Shaw in the first half was brilliant. His, little, his diagonal to Rashford, I think it was. Rashford oh, yeah. took, he had a first-time effort. Yeah, that, that, yeah. Was that was a brilliant pass. There were some great moments and one where he, like, flicked it over... I think it was Fabinho's head and turned and sort of kind of, Luke Shaw's been brilliant this season in the second half he was absolutely calamitous yeah. it was amazing it was incredible to watch you know just like like half half effort 
clearances and like kicking it off people. Some of United's goals were shambolic. And the thing that was weird as well is that United were actually quite good in the first half. Until they, no, until they conceded the, the goal. The goal's... All these things we're saying are true. It's like we, we need to stop looking for hot takes. Really, <laughs> the, go- the goals yeah. changed the goal. The, the goals changed the game. Goals either side of half time, and Liverpool only really started playing well at two 0 They weren't great in the first half. They looked shaky defensively too. I thought there was a lot of turnovers for both sides and sort of, you know, pretty dangerous positions in midfield and stuff. And then there were breakaways. Both teams I thought looked. Pre- I thought watching that first half, neither of these sides have played well. There was very little quality, and then the goals had the goals came. Liverpool, woof, confidence yeah. soared. Man United absolutely fell off a cliff, and, and that's is, why we had this result. I think the only sort of accident waiting to happen bit about it as the game unfolded was was the Casemiro thing. I mean, he didn't. I don't know how early it was when he clearly was not right, but it was just seemed bizarre that he stayed on because it. I mean, physically, it just didn't look like it looked like plain that there was something going on there, and, and United's midfield just disappeared, didn't it? But at, you know, at what point? There should have been a sort of decision made about actually we just need to shore up this midfield, get some, um, you know, just get some robustness back in there. Um, that should have been earlier. One one thing that you could maybe say that you're learning is, and I got this from uh, Belegger's column, is that United have lost five of the past twenty four league games only, and in those games they've conceded four, six, three, three, and seven goals. So like they do have it within them to collapse and we're not seeing it often and there was a big debate afterwards about how much credit United should you know deserve from their form in the last few weeks and, and sorry the last few months um, and whether this is something that's sort of you know a flaw in the team it's it's clear that they have they, they still don't really have that resolve to be able to if they go behind necessarily always pick themselves pick themselves up and, and, and fight back they, they, they have it within them to crumble it's a weird one with Manchester United because they they have some good results and then people say, you know, they finally got the players, finally got the squad, finally got the manager and then they have a result like this and people say, not questioning the manager, but, you know, they, they really need to go out there now in the next window and strengthen. This is a wake-up call. You know, this is the reality check that a lot of Manchester United fans were waiting for. Um, what do you think? Neither's <laughs> true. Here. Neither's true. Like, they have come on leaps and bounds. They've yeah. been brilliant. And, but they also they, didn't need to start saying... This is the beginning of a dynasty when they won the Carabao Cup. We this got, is the we, greatest yeah, just, manager just, in world football. Just so you know, like Greg, pundits in the BBC were saying, we Calm were criticised. People tweeted to say that you and I were too negative about Manchester well, United there you go. after they won Wise the Carabao up, Cup. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, wake up call, exactly. Well, clearly the players, the Man United players, were just livid. They didn't have an open-top bus tour. So, <laughs> <laughs> I thought the capitulation was strange. I... Uh, on first glance I thought there were so many opportunities on so many of those goals in my mind five of them where a Manchester United player gets their foot on the ball so I had to watch them back this morning and I think the second goal five Manchester United players in the build up get their foot on the ball when they don't clear it no one makes a tackle Shaw gave it away in the first instance and then from there it was like ricochet ricochet ricochet. and and, and you know the one that Salah smashes in where it, it goes from being you know, uh, uh, it goes from being a very poor result to embarrassing the 4-0 and then suddenly it's like, okay, floodgates now. That hits too many United players. And you look at every every single goal, ultimately, and this is, I think, one of the reasons that Graeme Souness and Gary Neville were having such an argument. You know, probably five of the goals you can put down to Liverpool wanted it much, much more than Manchester United. You know, and obviously football fans want this kind of 
you know, highbrow analysis of, well, Liverpool played fantastically well and they were the greatest team. They scored seven goals. How could it not have been a dominant performance full of beautiful football and craft? And, and we're back to levels of that won us a Premier League and a Champions League. And, and you're like, well, it, it wasn't. I mean, Man United were that bad. They could have been Southampton or Bournemouth in terms of how they defended the goals. If, it, if that was a team in the bottom three, we would have just said, well, yeah, they're rubbish. That's how poor their performance was. I mean, they and, and granted, it's not like that every week, but they were so poor. And again, I'm going to get criticised this week because I haven't given Liverpool enough credit. Well, because, but, like, yeah. we have to, but we have to remember, I mean, the Liverpool players look as surprised as the rest of us. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. they're, 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 when the third goal goes in, you can see them looking at each other going, what is happening? I mean, yeah. so, you know, this is where the freakish bit comes in. I mean, you know, clearly they have got some exceptional players who... You know, some of them taking have taken a bit of time to. You know, they've had new signings. You know, Gapko's obviously just been sort of bed, bedding in. But I mean, they there was a freakishness which they suddenly just thought, "Wow, this is this football's fun." Um, you know, football's easy, um, and that doesn't come very often, least of all in a game of a derby like this. But yeah, there was a freakishness to that, and you could see it on their faces. This is like, this doesn't happen. Um, you know, every time we touch the ball, it seems to fly in the net. You know, it's um, there, there was freakishness on from both sides. But can it be? Can it? I mean, can it be freak? A freak a freakishness is when you get a wonder goal from the halfway line that might take a nick off a back of a defender's head or something. And go, well, that was freaky. No, but seven, a strike, seven, seven goals isn't. It's, no, it's a, a, striker, a trend within a match. You don't there. expect. You know, you don't stand there in the box expecting Luke Shaw just to sort of pass it straight to your feet and say have a goal. You don't expect Dallow to stand behind the goal line and just say, oh well, yeah. You know, you don't expect Martinez to you know trip over his own legs and and you know. Uh, no, 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 no. But, but, but twenty examples of freakishness. Stop it being ergo. It can't be freakish. It's a thing that happened to them, and that's the interesting. But that's the interesting question, isn't it? Why? Why? Because they they played okay in the first half. I think everyone's agreed with that. Yeah, they, they United were okay. Hockey. Some people claim they were the better team. I don't think they were, but they played well enough for people to say United were the better side overall in the first half. But how do you go from that to a halftime team talk to the manager saying after four, the next forty five minutes the team were unprofessional? What happens? The second know? goal. What happens? Absolutely. The second, no, I mean, yeah. the second goal for me. I like Luke Shaw gave the ball away. And then what happened from there? I think there was there was misfortune as well as calamity in the in that second goal. It was like the ball was strike as I say, it was ricocheting off people. There was several opportunities. Casemiro tried to kind of in, intervene, but I didn't. Want, I don't think he wanted to give away a foul or a penalty. And and then it was again, it bounced off him, and it, people just couldn't quite get that tackle. And then Luke Shaw again, I think he just punted it off somebody, and it yeah. fell to his feet. But then you, have, you also we do have to give Liverpool credit. Salah was irresistible. Salah was playing the kind of passes that you can't even see. Like those little ones through a thicket of legs inside the box, or the one where he slipped in Gakpo, like on the outside. Like he, he was a, he was irresistible in the second half. But it took the second goal for that for the psychology of yeah. both teams to change. Liverpool, yeah. woof, as I said, and Man United, as we have seen on a number of occasions. Oh no, this is going to be a long one. Yeah, it just felt like unless a Manchester United player's touch was perfect, they would look up towards the other end of the pitch, and there was just a red wall. Bang, there were five players coming forward onto the ball to win it back. And as soon as they did, it was just a surge forward and it was just bodies running. And, you know, you just felt if this ball drops loose anywhere on the pitch, a Liverpool player is getting it first. And that's why it felt like it was a very strange result. I'm not going to say freak, but for me, it was, it was you know, well, you just, it, it, you, you it just was a no contest. It was a no contest, basically. You, but you read out the dates. I mean, yeah, this doesn't happen since 
1931. I mean, it's, it is freakish in that sense. I mean, you know, back to Alison's point, you know, Liverpool are capable of playing exceptionally well. Man United are capable of collapse, but for the two to sort of yeah. come together in one 45 minutes like that, that's that's the bit where you just go, you know. And obviously one in, impacts, impacts on the other in a big way, but it still takes sort of, you know, it takes something just gets in the air. You just see it in the players, don't you? You just see in those Liverpool players, they were just like, suddenly like, wow, you know, you just suddenly get this sort of complete flow and you know, every run you make feels effortless everything you do suddenly feels easy and um, I'm sure Gregor will tell us with much more experience than that that doesn't happen too often in professional sport too often in professional sport too often in professional sport even at the you know the very very top players of which Gregor was almost almost <laughs> one the, another the, Robertson <laughs> was, was the driver as well I think yeah. Andy Robertson was brilliant was, and when you fantastic. see when you see Trent Alexander-Arnold hitting, hitting those sweeping Crossfield passes to Robertson, like, and he's collecting his stride. You think, you know, Liverpool are in their stride, and he did that a lot in the second half. And he was, yeah, Paul Joyce wrote about him today. He was like a force of nature. He was brilliant. Hugh, because mm. you know we know who you support. <laughs> were you? Because we seem to be letting Ten Hag off the hook here. Were you happy with his demeanour in the second half? His choices of substitution. His. Uh, he seemed very uh, passive. He seemed well, to do, he seemed to be accepting this is a horrible day. Let's just wait for it to get over. Because yeah. when I was there, when they were beaten four 0 by Brentford, and he was utterly unimpressive then as well. Mm. Well, I think he's an introvert, anyway, naturally. So I don't think we get that kind of huge explosion of character on the touchline. But maybe, maybe you maybe, need it yeah, in maybe, moments when it's going wrong. Maybe it's most stark when he's in a dugout beside Jurgen Klopp. You know, maybe it's very, very evident that he's not that animated. But ultimately, I don't think, you know, once you've got to the 3-0 position against your arch rivals, I mean, you, you can tell me you've played football, but surely you hit, right, we've, this is for the fans. We can't get embarrassed here. I mean, even if we don't have a shot for the rest of the game, put 11 players behind the ball, go in hard for your challenges and make sure we don't get embarrassed. I mean, he, I don't, wasn't, I don't, he wasn't conveying that to the yeah, players. But I don't though. think it, my point is, I don't think he should need to. I really don't think he should need to tell the players, make sure you don't get embarrassed. Well, here. he clearly should need to because they didn't. Yeah, but I think. Well, I'm gonna. This is my point. I might as well ask the question now because I was going to ask you all what you what you think Eric Ten Hag learned about Manchester United and about his squad in this game because I do think that that. I think there are stark things. I, I kind of alluded to it earlier when I said the players aren't good enough. People hammer me a lot for saying Manchester United squad. Many of them, even the ones that have been doing well, aren't top draw. And I know people are going to say it's very revisionist. They won a trophy last weekend. But even so, I don't think Manchester United played particularly well against a Newcastle side that their fans felt never really showed up as well. Like I, I, We saw West Ham in midweek. Like I, People say there's more depth at Manchester United now. They've made some good signings. But for me, you know, Liverpool have m probably more top-level players who've been there and done it, clearly, than Manchester United do. You know, Casemiro walking into the Manchester United squad, it's evident his quality and his character his mindset as a winner, it's so clear that Manchester United don't have many of those in other positions. Really, my main takeaway was, please, never again, Bruno Fernandes wearing the captain's armband. But then you think, we had that same conversation about Harry Maguire. Like, there is a cultural, for me, there is still a cultural issue at Manchester United. This will sound perverse because, for me, my, my main reaction to the game was, okay, they think they've done something now. 
You know, they won the Carabao Cup. They're looking comfortable in the top four. They knocked Barcelona out of the Europa League. And there was a sense of accomplishment where they felt like, we're going to go away to Anfield. Minimum, we're getting a point here. That was my feeling about the Manchester United squad. And I see that as a cultural problem because Roy Keane on TV spoke about how it was really strange. We were doing presentations midweek after the Carabao Cup and before the game, even though we've got a game you know, against West Ham United in the Carabao Cup. He didn't want to see that. And for me, I, I did mention it as kind of in passing, um, that I was going to be sitting in the Royal Box um, at the Carabao Cup. But obviously the Manchester United delegation, a couple of tables over, Avram Glazer. But actually it was, you know, at the end of the game, many people would have seen the pictures, but Sir Alex Ferguson, David Gill, Richard Arnold, kind of running around Wembley to be seen in as many places as they could, congratulating the manager in the tunnel. And there we were just beside them when, the, you know, the trophy was given... And it wasn't that. It was just a. It was a. It, for me, my friends asked me what it was like afterwards, and my, I said to them, my Man United friends, and I don't know Richard Arnold personally. I I did congratulate him after the game, but more as a fan than anything else. But it felt like he wanted to see himself in the limelight for that moment. You know, I said they they were just self congratulating. It's the League Cup, and you're Man United. And the fact you haven't won a trophy for however many years. For, I'm not saying don't enjoy the day. But it was a real kind of, you know, it, it, you know, the fans were there too. So I, I, I think we're in part to blame. The feeling that Manchester United were back because they won the League Cup and the last few weeks is probably what played into them not concentrating enough at Anfield to understand the immense pressure that they were actually under from Liverpool. Because I actually felt that the sense of complacency is what you know, they kind of thought after the third goal, and, and this is why, I'm, to go back to the point about Ten Hag, I don't think the players on the pitch addressed that we're go- we could get embarrassed here because they didn't think they were bad enough to get embarrassed. That's what I mean about them thinking that they were back or thinking that they achieved something. And that was really, for me, the clearest thing that we learned at Anfield about the, the group of players. I almost got a sense that, I mean, you know, you could say his job was actually 3-4-0 you know, to step in and do more to try and... But I... I watching it from the far I mean who knows what was going through his mind apart from you know um, a lot of horror but it, it, he was almost just standing there thinking right let's just see what I've got here and, and you know you could say that that is too passive he should be ranting and throwing his arms around but it was almost just like right I'm, I think he was learning a hell of a lot I, I hope he was learning a hell of a lot as he saw as he saw that go in now I don't think I think the Fernandez one is is a worthwhile debate as you say we've got to be careful of too many hot takes Shaw's been you know playing excellently and was looking great as as Gregor says in the first half does this suddenly make him you know useless of course not um you know he's an asset for them and and you know but it it the the Fernandez one I thought was interesting I mean it that just seemed unthinkable that you have a Man United captain in the midst of that just going like get me get me out of here um which is certainly what his body language was saying. Um, so I think that is that that <laughs> if I was on if I was the manager, that is one thing I would be seriously con- considering. If I was the manager, <laughs> I would have. I I'm, this isn't this isn't simply about being wise after the event, but because we we've all seen enough football to know that this happens. But ex- that picture you painted, Hugh, of the celebrations after the Carabao Cup final. Any half-decent manager knows that in itself is going to have an impact on your next performance. And it could be a negative one. And you, the best managers are the ones that t- 
tell almost tell the team off, you know, and say, look, that that forget that now. That was nice for ten minutes. I mean, Thomas Frank does it every single week after a big win. He just has to make the point. He's making it to the media, but he's also reiterating it to his players via the media. Let's not let's enjoy it for a few hours and then let please, please let's forget. Forget you have to forget how wonderful that moment was. And I don't a good manager would have known all the factors we've been talking about would have known they could come into play, that they wouldn't be in the great... If they wallowed in it too much and believed the hype too much, they wouldn't be prepared for the cauldron that is out of They're not, not saying Ten Hag's a good manager, then. In this instance, I don't think he handled it very well. I don't know what he could have done. I mean, he, he threw on McTominay. He, he, he McTominay. Started, started the same team. That's sending out... That's to me, that's saying, sending out the message of, we've cracked it. I said because the team's been doing well. I mean, no, I, I, no, 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 no. You mix it up, mix it up. Make them, make players realise just because you've, just because you started at Wembley doesn't mean that you've, you've made it, mate. I'm I, I just looking at the subs they made. McTominay came on. He, he nearly got sent off, and then as Hugh alluded to, I think it was the sixth goal. That was unlucky. He slid in to to kind of to block the through pass, and it went directly to to someone else, and then on to Salah. Um. Garnacho came on and he fell over the ball on the halfway line. Uh, he tried to take on players and was like barged us, swept aside. He kind of eventually grew into the game, but he was like nowhere near ready. He didn't look at it. And he's a young lad. Um, as we said, Dallow was like, there's been more, I think it was the Man, was it the Man City game before when they, when they were humbled as well. I remember looking at uh, Malasia and Dallow as fullbacks and these big games and they've not played in these games. They haven't. Dallow's been like a far better player than any of us thought he is this season but there still might be chinks in, in his armour that kind of are the reasons why he's not been played before and Luke Shaw despite his sort of great elevation this season and he's playing really well and I think he's a good player it's probably his best season in a Manchester United jersey he's undoubtedly got little chinks in his armour like he's got within him to, to have a really off day and this, he had a really off half in this game so what we've seen is it's it's mainly psychological, and part of it might be the whole backdrop in the context of having won the the trophy and thinking you're on you know you're on such a high that Anfield isn't a place to fear as quite as much, and Liverpool are not you know having having a great season. But part of it is also that the you know they have signed players now like Martinez, like Casemiro. We're seeing Varane, although Varane had an off day, who's been a much more of an influence this season. That has that's lifted everyone around them, but those players are still around them. I think they still. They're still as we're seeing that United have come a long way, but they've still got a way to go. Why did Ten Hag keep Anthony on for the whole game? Well, that was going to be my next question. To be perfectly honest, um, there's one of the goals, and, and you can talk about tracking Robertson, which never happened at any point in time down the left-hand side. But he challenges kind of near the centre circle. He challenges Cody Gakpo for the ball, and Gakpo wins a, a 50-50 shoulder barge and carries on running straight into the penalty area, and Anthony just stops. And Gakpo just runs straight through, scores, gets the ball back from, gives the ball to Salah, gets it back, dinks it over De Gea for the third, and Anthony hasn't moved. And his man that he was tracking back with has gone 50 yards, and he's just watched him score. And you're just sitting there and you're like, they, did they not know the context? Did they not know it's Manchester United against Liverpool? Did they not know the context of the game? Because those things are nothing to do with the manager, nothing to do with tactics everything to do with desire but the fact that he still stars is kind of strange for Manchester United fans anyway because if you're going to pick out any player who's been poor recently he's right up there in terms of a lack of impact on football matches but 
Um, it happens so often that I know on Match of the Day they kind of said, what was Ten Hag trying to do? It's clearly it's clearly tactical. He just wanted to leave him up and told him, obviously, he didn't have to track back. And I, you just don't know. I mean, it was constant, walking constantly. I just, I But don't what know. Anthony seems to do in the games I've watched him is he'll do one some he'll do one lovely thing like and he, and he did it in this game as well he collected the ball with a sort of balletic flick hey look really pretty and he does one pretty step over or something per game and then he sort of just sort of like gets the cigar out for the next 20 minutes he's not he's not a wholehearted get stuck in track back player and he doesn't do enough of the pretty stuff to allow you to forget about that part of his game he's either. not he's not that good he may well go down as one of the worst signings ever. Oh, oh Hugh, they he, he may into well. hot take territory. No, 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 yeah. no, no. He may well. He may well. Just because of the price. Just because of the price tag. You're talking about a pl- what? You know, with add-ons, a hundred million quid, basically. I mean, he's got a long way to go. Long way to go to justify that price tag at this point in time. Who's the new Leicester winger, Tete? I mean, similar quality, probably. He just doesn't affect football matches at all. You got Garnacho. Uh, kid on the other side coming through the academy who everyone is saying has clear faults in his game he affects games far more so he didn't cost 100 million quid so i mean at this point it's not that hot a take is it he's, he's been that bad so you know let's hope he let's hope that was a hot take and for my sake he uh, he comes back i just wanted to end on because obviously we've seems to have slated manchester united whether we're going to say anything positive about liverpool to end but Matt, well Matt, I'll, Matt, I'll, I'll happily say i'll happily say please then it Say plenty positive about Liverpool, but one uh, one moan I'm going to have, and it's 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 partly their fault, it's partly our fault. But this the Mo Salah goal, you know, Premier League goal records yeah. and stuff. Oh, yeah. uh, have have we not heard of a bloke called Ian Rush? Um, yeah, have yeah. we not heard of Roger Hunt? You know, I mean, it's it's a hundred odd goals behind. Yeah, you know, and it's like you know this whole thing of sort of every record starts in 1992. I mean, say I we have. I should, before someone else points out, ranked the uh, the Premier League goal scorers in our own paper today. But I just, I, I it's just, it's an ongoing thing, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's, and it's a nonsense. I mean, it's a complete and utter nonsense. I, I did find that a bit weird uh, because you know I'm not. I don't think anyone thinks you know as great as Mo Salah has been in terms of Liverpool's greatest goal scorers that it was a, a real kind of record to break. He knew it though. He took his shirt off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, he was definitely counting. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but yeah, I, yeah. It's just it's a it's it's a weekly thing, isn't it? That we sort of reinvent football as um, you know as only uh, something they invented then. There was one hot take that came out of this match. That How many I, times that, have we used the phrase hot? Yeah, take? well, well, oh everyone God. knows what we're talking about. It's good communication. <laughs> um, that I couldn't stand. And that was the idea that the tie against Real Madrid isn't over because Manchester United got thrashed 7-0 at Anfield. Oh, it wasn't over before the kickoff. (laughs) (laughs) It's over. It's done, all right? As great as Liverpool were, and they were fantastic, deserved winners, 7-0. For for any 7-0, it has to be a, a mixture of both. One team playing fantastically, the other team playing horrendously, and I think we saw that at Anfield. Um, and will it have a, a, a major effect on either team? Just to go back to that very quickly, we will see. Okay, maybe it will spur Liverpool on to Champions League glory. We will find out. Anyway, uh, a number of big games for us still to talk about on the game podcast. We'll whiz through those next. Big games at the top, big games at the bottom. Remember, if you're enjoying the podcast, make sure you're subscribed. The trainer. 
iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Let's head to the top of the Premier League next on the game podcast. Um, what a result. What a finish at the Emirates this weekend. Reese Nelson with a 97th minute winner. Um, as the Premier League leaders came from two goals down, Arsenal, of course, to beat Bournemouth by three goals to two scenes, absolute scenes. That's the definition. Um, and it was a remarkable start. Philip Billing scoring for Bournemouth after 9.11 seconds. Uh, they went 2-0 up Bournemouth with a Marcos Sonesi header. But it wasn't to be for them. Um, Arsenal's Premier League lead restored to five points. And it was you almost felt they were going to lose ground. Manchester City had won earlier on in the day against Newcastle. We'll talk about that in a moment. But, but many people were reflecting. For, for me, doing the EFL show this weekend, it was very, very difficult. As I went onto Twitter to find out what Vincent Company had said at the end of, of Burnley's game against Blackpool, which is obviously the big result <laughs> of Saturday afternoon, his name was trending. Why was his name trending? Because Arsenal fans were saying, this is our Vincent Company moment. Of course, his his goal smashed in against Leicester in one of the seasons, whichever one it was, that Manchester City uh, won a tight Premier League title race. Um, you know, it was the game that everyone thought was going to be the moment that changed things in Manchester City's favour, and Arsenal managed to wrestle things back. Um, I'll slate Bournemouth in a minute. How good were Arsenal? <laughs> well, I think the first thing just to say is 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 just the glory in the theatre, isn't it? I was just looking at in the in the game today. There's a picture Stuart McFarlane's taken from up in the stand, looking down at the the, the moment the ball's gone in, and you can spend a long time, as I already have done today, just looking because you know there's you know, some guys with their heads in the hand, Bournemouth players with their heads in the hand, one rolling on his back. There's you know, uh, Arsenal bench starting to come on. Yeah, but it's just one of those, it's just a scene of just classic sport where there is just every single human reaction going on. And I think, you know, I mean, if nothing else, it will go down for that. It's just what sport does, isn't it? Completely electrifying. Um, where, you know, I'm sure, I mean, I was listening to the radio at the time and it was just, you know, you just sort of um, don't quite crash the car, luckily, but it's, <laughs> it is one of those moments where you just, whoever you are, whether you're an Arsenal fan or not, you just go... You know, wow, sport sport keeps doing this for us. I've got to say, if you work in kind of sponsorship and branding for the Premier League, you've got one of the easiest jobs in the yeah. country, don't you? You know, anyone would want to be involved with the drama that we've seen so far this season. Um, 
Could You Believe It? Was it one of those? Well, yeah. We've we've just been discussing how Bournemouth let in nine against Liverpool. They're not that good. And it's a weird season at the bottom because there's like about 600 clubs that could go down. But most people end up saying, well, Bournemouth are probably the one that will, given the size of their squad and experience in the division and so on. They're not that... You know, they're try-hard. They're not that great a team. I mean, the real story... If you take away that beautiful photograph and you take away the branding and you take away the drama and you take away the seconds in which the goals were scored, it's Their actually... Life, life's not much bit, fun. If you, <laughs> <laughs> if you do that, if you do that, it's a bit pathetic that Arsenal, who think they should and could win the league, struggled against the team that everyone thinks is the one that is definitely going to go down. The, the thing about Arsenal is the psychology. You can tell the psychology of the title race is affecting them. Um, it's a little bit like a, a, a newborn baby learning new skills. Um, it takes a little bit of time for them to adjust, but they're going to get there, in my opinion, okay? Because they had 81% possession, they had 31 shots. I mean, it's it's Bournemouth, but the thing is, they, they now... Arsenal players, Arsenal fans, they see a fixture and it's almost like the easier the fixture, the more frightened they become because they're so scared of, of a collapse in the title race. And so suddenly it's the games against the teams lower down the league, the big banana, banana peels that become massive. You know, it's just like, oh my God, a Bournemouth going to beat us at home and, and especially if you concede in 10 seconds. It's, it's, that's what I mean. It's just, I think if they start games well, if they go 1-0 up, Arsenal are just going to control matches. The confidence is going to grow throughout the 90 minutes. When they start games badly, everyone's saying, what if this is the moment that we collapse? And that is why so many Arsenal fans thought it was their Vincent Company moment, because it warded off the collapse. They have to believe it's at this the lost, point It's the lost key syndrome, isn't it? How pleased are you when you spent three hours looking for your keys and you feel... Life is better. Actually, you're exactly the way you, you know, you're in the same state of life as you were before you lost them. But because you lost them, you feel great when you find them. You haven't actually gained anything. <laughs> Win winning a home game against Bournemouth should be what you do if you're going to win the title. And suddenly it's become this talismanic result, which means they are going to win the title. But this isn't a hot take. Will we reflect on this, do you think, when we look back on the season as one of the key of moments we will, but we shouldn't. in the title race? Do you think it was that big a moment? It depends what's com what comes next. Like in, immediately, because I think you're right. They are in a bit of a kind of heightened state just now. It's like a frenzy in the, in the second half, and and they do know that like they've got Manchester City on their tails, and uh, and it's also the the player who scored the goal. I mean, like he, he wasn't in the squad in the last couple of games. I think I read somewhere he played like a few minutes between uh, his last goal and 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 this game, and you know they're kind of calling on. He, when players are dropping out, with when Jesus is injured, they put faith in Nketiah and he did. He did. He stepped up for a period of time. I think he was injured in this game. Emil Smith Rose coming back in, uh, and so they're kind of calling on academy players, and that also that 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 helps to generate the feel good yeah. sort of factor in the, inside the stadium and inside the the squad. So, like I, on, the, on the occasions I've been at the Emirates this season, it's it's been an incredible atmosphere. It's like you can't feel that the there's a kind of a new bond between players and and uh, and support, and that's been you know we all know how absent that's been for a long time, and undoubtedly I would say that helped them over the line here because it but was it does feel a long time to sort of run on adrenaline, doesn't it? I mean, you know, they're, 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 you know yeah, but they they can 
they need to control matches better and obviously they need to win matches with a bit more to spare because you can't you know you got what is it 10 games left to, yeah. to over you know two and a half months that is a long time to be sort of 12, you know, do, 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 doing it with yeah. your you know your heart pumping at 180 beats a minute isn't it you know you need you need to have games where you just get the job done by half time and you can start to make the sub, you know rest players and make those sort of substitutions for, for me the league games before they face manchester city before they face manchester city is where i think they'll either win or lose the league to be perfectly honest because the game two games before Manchester City are Southampton and West Ham you have to win those really for me before that it's Liverpool away obviously Arsenal fans will have nightmares of trips to Anfield and from here on out they go to Fulham next week um, they've got Crystal Palace and Leeds I mean you know you need to go to Manchester City with that psychology intact and that is a little bit of a gap might be four or five points fine but if it's not three points <laughs> that's good enough you know to go to Manchester City in the knowledge that even if you lose you'll still be top of the table psychologically is huge and I think they, they will be able to do that I know that there's going to be Europa League games in the way for me youth team I don't care second team nobody I don't want anyone who's going to be involved against Fulham to play the first leg against Sporting Lisbon it's an away trip to Fulham. They've been good this season. You've got another leg, if you like, afterwards to um, come back against Sporting. You know, depending on the result in the first leg, then you can go for it a little bit if you really want to. If I was an Arsenal fan, I wouldn't care about winning the Europa League this year. I know it's a trophy. I know it's been a while. I don't care. Premier League title is all I want. But then I'm not an Arsenal fan. So, um, do, you, do you think Arteta agrees with you though? I mean, I what well, I did. Like, I mean, we, we're talking about ba- you were talking about baby steps and learning as you go and so on, but. I thought a nice juxtaposition was, as um, we've been talking about Ten Hag and what was he doing substitutes-wise. Um, you know, Arteta did take off Emil Smith-Rowe and he, you know, he was him, himself a substitute. I sort of feel the old Arteta would have been soft about that and felt that might have been damaging to him to bring him off. You know, to, when you're a sub and then you're taken off, it, it doesn't do you good psychologically. But Arteta does seem to be getting more ruthless. Yeah. So maybe he does have that in him to say, I'm going to be ruthless about what I prioritise. I don't know, though. He did the same with Tommy Asu and Ben White, and he did it in reverse against Manchester United before. So mm. you're right, he has, he's, he's kind of... He's getting but Gary Jacobs written about minute, that today, isn't he? hasn't he? He said that, you know, there's been occasions over recent seasons where he's, you could accuse him of being naive. Um, and Or, you know, helping... Well, too uh, a fain, a fain, yeah, or, yeah, or helping yeah. create a frenzied atmosphere that's uh, acts in a negative way, like he, when he, he got in the kind of tussle with Klopp on the touchline at, at Anfield that yeah. time. Whereas now he's he's making decisive interventions. He's still pretty frenzied in the touchline. <laughs> I'm not sure that's always a help. Yeah. But uh, certainly, look, the one thing we can say is they'll go into training today and they'll feel better having won that way than they would having won 3 0. Yeah, that is true. Galvanising uh, results, if you like, given the 97th minute goal. It's been a while since we've chatted, Matt. So so what's your view on the Premier League title race? I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. Um, it felt like Phil Foden was back this weekend, of course, inspiring Manchester City to a 2-0 victory over Newcastle. Four goals in his last three games. Um, uh, Newcastle could, I think, reflect positively on their performance, but uh, it's one win in eight for them in the Premier League. Um, 14 defeats in a row away at City is some record as well for Newcastle United. But, um, but well, yeah, if you, if you well, I mean, I'd gone to my head. I guess I'm still probably just going with um, City by a whisker, just because oh, yeah? you say, yeah, you say there's the obviously there's the you know the way they played in that that last match at the Emirates, the fact of going to head like you say. 
five points is not you know that's that 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 can go like that can't it I mean you know and the fact that Arsenal are you know I say they're pulling off these great results and you, it does give them a particular buzz but I think it's that's that's a hard act to pull off for say as long as as long as they've got still to run in so you know it's it's close but I would have gone with City for for most of the season and I, and I think I, I I think they'll still gone to my head just pip it wow okay all right um what did you make of manchester city this weekend phil foden nice to see him playing well yeah no is it i don't know <laughs> um, no they i mean this is why i'd agree with matt actually there's something weird about city this season that they're, they're, they're not at their usual compelling best but they're quite more than capable of turning it on when they need to and they've just got so many players i think honestly if you were to rewind every single podcast we've had when it comes to talking about City we, we, we pick out an individual who's been rested or injured or been off form but they're all like amazing players so when they they have a great game it's like wow wow they've got that, him as well so it's just a, it's just a production line of oh yeah 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 we've sort of briefly forgotten about Phil Foden oh he's, he's, he's rather brilliant isn't he but there's 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 endless numbers of them mm. and it's like it's almost like they can't help but win. I felt Newcastle were, were highly competent and um, unafraid, but they just don't have they just don't have yet the resources that at, at the coach's disposal that Pep has, and it's just I mean that's what he's good at is is somehow making he has too many good players for a team, but when he moves them in and out, the ones that come back in generally do rather well uh, Newcastle fans um, I think can can be positive about you know I think the question was would the Carabao Cup final defeat affect them I don't think they looked affected I think there were some very positive performances and they had good chances against a good side in Manchester City but it doesn't change the fact that they've won one in eight Premier League games so how big do you think the risk is that their season kind of derails from here because some were saying is this going to be a side that even finishes in Europe from being a side that we were talking about for a top four place? Certainly a risk if they don't start scoring goals. Um, but you're right, there have been kind of fine margins within that run. A lot of narrow defeats or or draws. Um, and just, you know, they're coming up against opposition where they, they have players, as Alison saying there, who just make decisive interventions. You know, like Phil Foden just driving inside Dan Byrne there, just leaving him. I think Johnny Noscroft compared it to like a Dan Byrne, a basketball player, kind of chasing like a wily little fox or something. It was like it did look like a mismatch, mm. and he drove inside, and I got a bit of good fortune, and then and then scored, and that's you know a long way back. But you're right, they're creating chances, and they're just not they're they need to start scoring goals because uh, they were never going to be able to maintain their defensive record, ridiculously good defensive record for for an entire season. Um, and it, their season is in danger of drifting a little bit. But even if it does, you know, reaching the cup final and a season like they've had so far, I, there's a reason why we've been saying they were so ahead of schedule all season. And we might see that actually that, that was the case. Uh, but uh, they're a bit like Arsenal in the title race. Um, I don't think Newcastle can miss the opportunity of this season because it's, it's not definite when it's going to return. I know they've got a lot of money. It still may, might take some time to build the resources in terms of the squad that Alison was talking about. And um, 
you know, Liverpool have had a poor season by their standards. Chelsea quite clearly aren't where they are, um, maybe could be in a season or two. Um, and we don't know when they might get into the Champions League next. And ultimately, getting in the Champions League from Newcastle might be the thing that says to them, we can push the button a little bit more on getting some better players, spending a bit more money. And of course, it's just a huge attraction in terms of the transfer window. If they were going to go out and buy four or five players, being a Champions League team certainly allows you to get a high calibre. And I think that would be massive for them, again, over the next three or four seasons. Because, again, it might lead to more Champions League qualifications. So um, I think it would be a big blow if they did miss out on the Champions League. I know I get the wider context. Brilliant season. We were fighting off relegation next last season, sorry. So I totally get the transformation under Eddie Howe. But... Um, I think it would be a huge missed opportunity if they don't get in the top four. Need to start scoring goals. Alexander Isak has to start from here. I'm sorry. He just brings other players into the game a lot more. Lovely touch and control about him. Quite graceful over the ground. And Callum Wilson, as hard as he works and as much as he's done for the club, it's not working currently. You know, getting him off the bench maybe will be better for him over the next four or five games as well. £60 million sign him. Give him a chance. All right, that's all I'm going to say on Newcastle United. Anyway, let's move to the bottom of the table. We've been um, following it as closely as we can over the last few weeks. There's been some big games uh, down there at the bottom. Um, we'll start with Everton. They led twice against Nottingham Forest. Two Brennan Johnson goals denying Sean Dyche's side. A pretty vital three points. Very entertaining match, got to say. Uh, West Ham boss David Moyes said his players need to stand up and be counted after they suffered their heaviest defeat of the season, beaten 4-0 by Brighton, having won 4-0 last weekend. Um, Wolves beat Spurs by a goal to nil to pull further away from trouble. Leeds United were beaten at Chelsea by a goal to nil. And one club entering our chat or entering the group chat when it comes to our relegation conversations entitled Championship Awaits. Crystal Palace, who were beaten 1-0 by Aston Villa. So now six points separate Palace, who are in 12th, and the bottom side, Bournemouth. Incredibly close when it comes to what might happen at the end of the season, which I think now is clearly going to go down to the final day. Um, but we'll start with the entertaining one. Between Forrest and Everton, who should be happier with the point? Sean Dyche? Or Steve Cooper? Ooh, good question. Well, ooh, good question. Um, <laughs> I, ooh, well, they could both be deeply unhappy and both ecstatic, really. It depends, it depends who has the glass half empty attitude or of life. I think, I think given the atmosphere at the ground, I think watching it and feeling, I always felt Forrest were more likely to grab something. And then probably Sean Dyche ought to be happier because he just he just has to grab every point he can at this point, really. And they're sort of coming in fits and starts. He's not quite got any rhythm going. One minute they look like, yeah, they could do it. And then the next minute you think they're doomed. So going away from home, a passionate place, um, probably he ought to be... And they scored two goals, and that that has been the story for Everton for quite a long time, is that they don't. So scoring twice away from home, I think that is something he can build on, definitely. Has to beat Brentford next week, don't you think? No, because it's no, it's, no, it's I don't think that's no, because I think Brentford are by far and away favourites for that. And he just... No, and I don't think Sean Dyche well, is, is the sort... To, he will find something positive, no matter what happens, he'd find something positive. They'll grab... 
they're going to grab scraps of things throughout the season and the, it may or may not be enough their goals were like scraps of things obviously the penalty and then the second goal you don't see that much in the Premier League now Jordan Pickford taking a free kick around the halfway line just launching it into the box Tarkowski boom Michael Ke- uh, Michael Keane Keane the head flick on and then Dukuri so it's like Jordan Pickford punt three headers back of the net like well, that's do, that's Sean Dyche yeah, now. Exactly. He'll, that's Everton. He'll do what he exactly. needs to do. Exactly, and that's the only. But that's the the problem is that's the only way they they scored that goal and they scored a penalty kick. They're not. They they are really stripped. We've spoken about. It. I think there's another. There was another stat in Bill's column today about. I think there's eight eight teams with who scored less than a goal per game in the Premier League, which is the first time that's happened. This and it's never happened across a a season. So there are so many teams who are struggling so badly to mm. score goals, and Everton are very much one of them. Uh, so, and again, as Alison said, like, towards the end, Forrest Brent Johnson whipped that that effort. The way him and Gibbs White are combining are, mm-hmm. is really exciting for Forrest fans now, and it's good to see as well. Despite the many millions spent, the twenty nine signings or whatever it is, Ryan Yates and Brennan Johnson, two academy kids, combining to to get the equaliser. So. You say it's good to see. Um, I, I watch those highlights, and I, I put myself in the shoes of a Wales fan at the World Cup for a brief moment because Brennan Johnson was left out for the legend, Gareth Bale, obviously. But, um, yeah, going to those games and seeing a team with absolutely no energy, cutting edge or ability to move and watching Brennan Johnson cut through teams is clearly uh, something think, that, that Rob Page is going to have to I, there was a, We did a preview of that and I, I, I got slaughtered for saying that... that, that uh, should Bale be an automatic pick with his legs? But there we go. Anyway, yeah, yeah, I was yeah. I was right for once in my life. <laughs> I, 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 take. I, 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 I want to rewind it. Um, pressure on David Moyes. How much really is the question? Um, they're down in the relegation zone. Should we keep the faith in David Moyes because the club would like us to? Yeah. No. Well, I I was at the game and I wrote that he's safe because of olives and halloumi cheese because it's. <laughs> His of which bit- I'm hoping to enjoy some uh, this week. Are you going? I'm going, Lovely. yeah. <laughs> it's a nice place. And you can hop over to, you can be in two countries at once in Cyprus okay. and have lunch. And, okay, and, um, uh, <laughs> it is fun. Yes, it's because it's not just about the fact that it's two seasons on the trot that he's got them deep into European competition, no matter the level of the, it's still Europe. Doing that did a lot to heal the rifts between the fans and the club. And I went to a few of the uh, West Ham Europa League games, and it was it they tr- it was transformed. You know, every single the, the noise, the passion from the fans. You would never have known. There's a long history of of disquiet amongst them at the way the club is run. It's that that ability to have European nights has done a lot for the club, and that's down to David Moyes, and that is why he is not going to get sacked tonight, even though this was abject stuff it was it was appalling but in some senses doesn't really matter they've got the second worst away uh, record in the league this season but at home they're okay and they've probably you know they've got good players they've got enough they've got the home form to get them through especially given there are so many other teams around them that are struggling both at home and away but it 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 I, and I did say in any other season it would be a sackable offence. This performance, um, I mean, the, the player of the matches was, was the goal, was the best time goalkeeper, and he let in four. How can that be? Because they were they were 
abject. Did you but do you the said, ratings? I did the ratings. I did the ratings. You say because you made in the uh, flavor of the match. So it's... no, but no, but I did. I did talk. I did talk to other journalists and told them what I was doing, and they were like, "Yeah, we're going to do the same." It's. It's, brain had poor. 20 shots but, I'm just looking at you you say Hugh they were the board the club want us to you know to, to, to sort of know he's safe but yeah how much do we quite uh, believe coming out of, of, of that play I mean I think he should be safe I think it's not you know I, I in fact did a column on it last week this idea of Moyes being you know we've had it twice this season in the last couple of months you know one you know one game to save his job I th- yeah I think which is completely balmy you know completely unhelpful and and just you know muddled and misguided anyway i mean what kind of strategy just goes you know win win one game or we'll sack you by tea time but uh for 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 a number of reasons i think he should um of course he should be uh be, be carrying on but at that club um anything's possible we need to ask really how deep in trouble Crystal Palace are. It's been a while since we've spoken about them on the podcast. Um, they haven't won in the Premier League since the 31st of December. Um, so it's nine matches now without a win. Um, 12 matches, one win under Patrick Vieira. And um, they kind of were in this position of, um, I think we were just indifferent to Crystal Palace for quite some time in that they weren't going to trouble Europe. They didn't look like they were going to trouble relegation. Maybe we've taken our eye off them a little bit. Maybe the Palace players have taken their eye off things. Don't think the fans have. No, I don't, been no, I don't think they time. have. No, <laughs> they've been. Well, they've been saying for a while we we're in trouble. Like, um, and it's kind of the one thing you always thought about, about Palace is that they were they always had a, such a threatening attack, and it's just not happening for them. I remember, you know, conversations at the start of the season, being at press conferences, did a preview. Um, about how Eddie was supposed to be the man who was going to step up and replace Conor Gallagher, who obviously went back to Chelsea. And it's not really happened for him, not in that number 10 role. Um, Michael Alicia, despite how much talent he has, we know he has, he's a bit of an enigma. Um, Zaha's been injured, but and whenever they don't have Zaha, they, they don't look the same team. Um, so that's the worrying thing. Then you always think they've got enough at home, their home form, they can have, it's a tough place to go. Even that's kind of fallen away. So, they are, I think they are absolutely part of the conversation now. Uh, you just always, think, as much as you say the same about West Ham, they've got enough. They should have enough to stay up. Um, Said that about West Ham before. Didn't I know we, we have. So <laughs> it's it, it doesn't hold true. But I've had I've, honestly, I've had a bee in my bonnet about Crystal Palace from the very start of the season because. Well, it's the media. Media was saying because because Patrivier is so beloved, and because there was this uh, pigeonholing of Roy Hodgson of playing boring four four two football without any imagination, and then you get Vieira in, and it's oh the flair. Oh, he's so lovely, isn't he? Look what he's done. Oh, they're so exciting to watch now, and they were so boring under Roy. And you'd hear this, and then you'd, but then you'd look at the table and say, well, actually, Roy was doing better at this point in the season. Roy was doing better at this point in the season. It was as if people were prepared to overlook quite a lot of flaws and a manager getting to grips with the situation, um, and 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 allow them to drift off the pace. And it's not all this praise for Vieira's style. It isn't transferring into results and it and this is snowballing and it's that there's i think they're stagnating in a, a style that isn't adaptable enough 
when you watch Palace, they're they're almost always the same, the same patterns, the same approach, the same belief in it being um, expansive football or trying to be. But there's no sense of this is the opposition we're going to play like that today, or we're going to do this differently, or we're going to try smash and grab. It's they're sort of they're like they're all out on a little picnic in a meadow <laughs> and they're watching the brook bubble past and. It's no, you're in you're in a relegation battle. There's, there's no sense of it. It's it's quite, it's not, it's not sudden. This to me, they've they've been overhyped from the start. Having said that, it's not it's fine margins. I've just looked and they've it, since their four 0 defeat against Tottenham on January fourth, nine games. It's all been a one goal margin. So like, they're not getting blown away. Uh, we think back to the Manchester United game where they. They kind of snatched a point in the last minute, uh, and it, the draw with Newcastle at home. Um, I don't think I, I think they're fine margins. I think I think generally speaking as well, they've they've had a decent foundation too. Uh, it's just it's actually you know whether they Scoring can. Goals. Score but that's all. But that's all, and that's been you know the one question about it. Patrick Vieira's coach management. I mean, if you go back to Nice as well, and other, I mean, it is that. You know, like you said, there was the it was the sense of a shift in emphasis from Roy's, and that was partly the sort of the character of the players that were coming in, like Elise and Eze. But it's also, I think he's you know he's found this in his career, just unlocking the full attacking potential of teams is actually that's the toughest bit for him, and I think he's still trying to suss that bit out completely. Okay, to Stamford Bridge next. Uh, Graham Potter, vital win for him. Of course, he's got the Champions League against Borussia Dortmund. Two games to save your job was the way that it was billed, I think. And the first part is complete. A victory over Leeds United at home by a goal to nil. Wesley Fofana, set-piece goal, which for me was the most concerning thing. You need a set-piece to beat Leeds United at home. Still, for me, got issues because you know we didn't see the chance creation. We didn't see that forward line really click together. Um, you know there were some lovely moments, but ultimately, you know a team like Chelsea with the quality that's in their starting lineup and that forward line should probably be doing better. Am I am I being unfair? Because maybe I'm feeling a little bit aggrieved that Pierre Emerick Aubameyang didn't start this game. <laughs> oh God, am I salty? Change the record, will you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you still saw Havertz missing. Yeah. Great chances. He still saw, you know, I think Felix hit the bar. He still saw some of the same things. And yeah. so I would be grateful for the set piece goal personally if I was Graham Potter. And actually grateful to remember that Fofana existed. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, imagine Fofana signing in the summer and then seeing the number of players that have come in <laughs> during the time he's been out. Uh, they've only just worked out they've got two of them. So <laughs> yeah. they're not allowed to be in the same room at the same time. Yeah. No, I mean, like, it, great boost especially with Diego Silva being injured for the next few weeks him, him returning uh, and I think a lot of people were pleased too that the, he, he went to, to a back three yeah. and you know, you spoke about that last week um, there is a kind of you know there's definitely a coherent argument to, to say that it gets the best out of some some of the players in, in Chelsea's team um, even if Reese James was missing um, so look I think they should take the the goal and the three points anyway they can get them and, and uh, move on to Dortmund now yeah Dortmund will be quaking in their boots won't they? <laughs> <laughs> well look I don't think it was you know the complete performance by any means by Chelsea um, but it's another defeat for Leeds United um, is it one that should concern their fans or should they be feeling like they did okay 
Well, I think they, 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 they need to be concerned. I mean, I think they're, you know, they're right. We talk about how tight it is. Um, no, definitely concerned. But I think on the on just on the Potter thing, I mean, it, there's this. You say that two two games to save his job, but I mean, that actually makes least sense to you know, even if their season is a write-off by. Um, after the Dortmund game, that's actually when you've got time to actually put your foot on the ball and actually think, you know, make a coherent decision about where this club's going and what Potter can do or can't do to to, to turn things around. You actually say that's when you've got time. Um, you know, you're not just lurching from one game to the next and trying to salvage stuff. So I think it would be crackers, you know, whatever happens against Dortmund to sort of, you know, make a decision based, you know, five five minutes after that. 5 nil defeat to Dortmund. Well, come back to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, if you're gonna, if you go, if you were going to sack Potter, you sack him before the Champions League game, not after. Because if you're going to sack him, you bring in someone who can win you the Champions League. Forget about the league. You bring in Avram Grant. As just, a, well, as not a, necessarily as a, as him, a, but you, you, it's, it, it does. It does it, if they're knocked out of Europe, you may as well let Potter learn on the job. Hmm. Okay, I don't think the Chelsea fans will agree at this point in time. Uh, they, def- they, they definitely won't, but actually, it's the more logical take to actually decide. You know, say um, mold the squad. Take your time to mold the squad. If well, you or I mean, you know, unless you're top bowling, you've already decided that you get. You know, you're already on the phone to you know Luis Enrique or, so, or 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 someone else. But in which case, yeah, as Ellison says, you should have. You know, you should have acted on that uh, before now. Someone just needs to tell me when the next six month review is. You know, annual meeting. First of April, maybe start of the new financial year. <laughs> they might make a decision on Graham Potter. Yeah, keep your eyes out for that. Anyway, um, Spurs beaten um, after, of course, being knocked out of the FA Cup in midweek uh, by Sheffield United. It was another solid Wolves performance that we've seen them of late. They're a mid-table side now. Uh, the January transfer window, the quality of the manager, I think, at Wolves um, means that that they will be okay. Um, but I think Spurs will feel like they had the best opportunities and the best of the first half. I know Christian Stellini was saying we probably should have put the game to bed, but I think we'll be confident now that Wolves will pull away from trouble. And then there's the question mark of whether Spurs will hold on to top four. Antonio Conte, by the way, back at work today. Is that a good thing? So, uh, yeah, all of the good mood that has been built over the last few weeks uh, should <laughs> should immediately dissipate uh, with his arrival, to be perfectly honest. Um, what what are we making of Wolves and, and Spurs from here on out very quickly, Alison? Well, Wolves, it shouldn't, it shouldn't matter, but it does. Wolves have now have the aura of a team that are not in a relegation battle. They look grown up and they look like they've got someone who's getting the best out of resources available and they've had a few blips but I think overall yeah they they look like they're on a good trajectory they're they're much more fun to watch than they were last season they can score goals there's a bit of enjoyment in the players you can see they're enjoying their football they do not look like a team that are going to suddenly fall back into trouble so fantastic for them and Spurs I mean is there a more annoying team in the history of football actually in the history of football if you had to rank the most annoying teams in the history of football, and not just Matt, the Premier League, the history of football, <laughs> it would be it would be Spurs because they've got this ridiculous inability to rise to the occasion. Uh, it, if you just take this game as a microcosm, yes, they did play well. They did play well. Couldn't take their chances, and then they wobbled and had lack of faith in themselves. And that's that's them through every cup run they've ever had. It's they're a bit of a joke, really. Given, given, I think they've got a fantastic squad. They've got, they've got 
a lot of players most teams would like to poach. Uh, it's just, it's just, it's just ridiculous, and it's also ridiculous that every report or mention of them at the moment says it's an absolute certainty that Conte will be gone in the summer. That's no way to for a team to be run at all. AC Milan midweek one goal deficit. Do we see Tottenham going through? Milan have been poor recently. Two sides that I think didn't impress us in the first leg. And, and what does it mean? You know, Antonio Conte being back for this game, I think he probably should have missed out on it. He just wants the limelight. That's why he's coming back. He'd probably be bleeding. You see the blood through his shirt, probably, <laughs> halfway through the game. <laughs> um, will, will it affect? Will it be a positive effect? Do you think? On well, of course, it's, of course, it should be. But as Addison says, I mean, that they are they are maddening, and they're all this. They're, they're sort of a lot of the things you don't necessarily expect from a Conte team. I mean, you know, he's known for for the sort of absolute manic intensity of that 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 he brings, and for the, I mean, obviously back to that Chelsea team he had, where you just there was that season where you just knew what you were going to get out of them every single game, and they just deliver. And this Tottenham are the com- a complete sort of eccentric opposite to that. They're 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 not in his character in that sense. So that's that is the weirdness, the complete weirdness about them. And even when and whether he's back there or not, we see these com- sort of lurches in 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 form and mood. So it's it is it is an odd one. And whether that is as Ellison says, because there is this sense of is he even going to be here to see this project through? And they're still somehow fourth in the Premier I know, League. I know, it's strange. It's bizarre, it? yeah. Yeah, they're you know as you say. One goal deficit to AC Milan, good chance of going through, and they're fourth in the Premier League. And this is the atmosphere around Tottenham Hotspur. It's not, it's not healthy, really, is it? Mm. Finally, on the game podcast, a very important fixture we've left until the end. Southampton fans, thank you for staying with us. Massive win for you, beating Leicester by goal to nil. Uh, Carlos Alcaraz, the goal scorer, injuring himself uh, while celebrating. So hopefully, it's worth it come the end of the season. And it was the best way to bounce back from that FA Cup embarrassment against League Two side Grimsby. Gets them off the bottom of the table as well and to within one point of safety with a second league win in the last three under Ruben Sellers. How important is it for him? How important is it for this club right now that they managed to get all three points? Huge. And I think they were pretty fortunate to as well when you look at some of Ianacho's misses. My goodness. Mm. And then Harry Suter's towards the end. Um... Yeah, I think they were pretty fortunate, but they'll they will take it, particularly after the Grimsby defeat. Um, and it's, again, it's just paints the picture at the bottom of the Premier League of how hard it's going to be to call between now and the end of the season. As you said, six points throws a blanket over such a, you know a bunch of teams that it's very hard to see who's going to going to pull clear. Um, Alcaraz has, has been a, a bit of a bright spark, I think. Actually, yeah, yeah. when I've seen him play in, since since January, I think he's one of these that kind of you know. They say it's a bit of a coup actually to, to, to have got him. Um young, kind of highly regarded player in South America. Um and his kind of combination with Jay Adams to get to get through for that goal was, was brilliant. So hopefully he's not gonna be out for too long because they need someone who's they don't have much creativity, much no. kind of attacking uh endeavour in the final third of the pitch. So uh, hopefully he won't be out for too long. Interesting Shay Adams brought straight back in as well. Um it could have an impact. Sellers and certainly needs to improve his form from earlier on in the season, but um, could be an important player for them once again. Uh, lots of question marks about Brendan Rodgers at Leicester. Seven points from 10 games in the Premier League since the World Cup. And um, 
bumped into a Leicester fan on my way in who said, uh, I'll watch the AFL highlights at the weekend, just getting ready for next season. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> uh, so I said, thank you very much for that. But I think you'll stay up. But now, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm like, will they? I don't know. I'm not sure. Well, they'll, they'll, they'll stay up because they're at worst teams. Come on. That's why they'll stay up. And I, well, I how many know. teams are we now saying they're too good to go yeah. down? Yeah. Leicester, West Ham. This is going to be the season. This is going to be the season that, that one of the big teams, at least one, is bad enough to go down. Absolutely. Yeah. Because all the teams that are supposed to be struggling are doing really, really well and will probably exactly, qualify yeah. for Europe. And that's what's weird about it. It leaves everyone else with, ah, that sense of, where are we? And what the Premier League's going to be stupid enough to give the EFL more money. It's just going to leave. <laughs> we're going to see the whole championship will be transposed with the Premier League soon. I'm joking, obviously. Um, but you've, been, um, you've seen QPR's accounts. <laughs> but half, um, half a million losses. Of, yeah, a um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Three hundred, three hundred thirty million losses. These owners to um, to get worse. So it's it's all. It's, it actually blows your mind how it's possible to even do that, doesn't it? Ah. To take more than three hundred million and to make a team. Worse in, in the championship, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's not like everyone's getting sixty grand a week. Although for a period of time they probably were, um, but yeah, I, I think the pressure on on Brendan Rodgers now goes up, doesn't it? Needs to start winning games. I mean, we can't. I, I don't think the Leicester fans are sitting there saying we're too good to go down. Doesn't, but this is. I mean, it, it doesn't foot. Sorry, it doesn't fit the normal football storyline, does it? Because he was Leicester were abysmal. I mean. I was convinced he was going to get the boot until I worked out they couldn't afford to do it. They were dreadful. And then he stayed, not through faith necessarily, but just pragmatism. And they started to put together not only good results, but good performances. And we saw some of the flair that we love about Leicester and that sort of free-flowing, all-smiles football. And it looked great. And either on another dip, but what you don't... This doesn't happen in football in one season. He's not now going to get the sack. He will, he will, he will go on a poor run, and then it'll lift again. It, it's, it's just been one of those very. It's a mad season, and Leicester just part, tiny part of that madness. Okay, all right. You, you have faith they'll stay up, and that Brendan Rodgers will be in charge, Matt. I think they'll stay up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, all right. You keep James Madison fat. That's true. Okay, we don't have in trouble. Well, like we're saying, they've got, got. I mean, got, got the the lack of goals is is chronic at the bottom but so but generally if you're looking at the teams who are going to stay up it'll be those who can create and take and yeah, Ian actually can't be that bad in terms of his finishing uh, every week and yeah. you have you have got there is creativity in the team that's what I mean ultimately when you're looking for what's going to define it that's that's probably going to be the defining factor Okay final word on the game podcast this week Matt as it's been a pleasure to have you back with us Thank you You alluded to what's going on at Queen's Park Rangers at the moment <laughs> Gareth Ainsworth back in charge learning the hacker with his players these week, yeah. this week to get some bonding lost 3-1 to Rotherham off the back of it I was I was, I was, uh, you know the one thing that I said going into this game was we'll get the hacker as a goal celebration <laughs> unfortunately it would have been the wrong thing for Jamal Lowe to do given that they were already losing to Rotherham at that point in time you know he did the right thing grabbed the ball run back to the halfway line but um, you know everyone loves Gareth Ainsworth at QPR you know a lot of fans they wanted do, him to they come. do at the moment yeah. yeah exactly a lot of fans wanted him to come in as soon as the appointment was made, it was like brilliant. But style of football doesn't necessarily suit 
the club and the championship well, at the moment as well. So what's going to happen? Well, it's the classic, isn't it? Of like you have a strategy and then the strategy goes. You know, as soon as you the, the fear comes in, the whiff of relegation strategy straight out the window. Let's go for a completely different type of of, of coach manager. I mean, and to be honest, the, the hacker stuff. I just can't see why you put that out on social media. I mean, you know, it's, the squad, the, the the team spirit is woeful at the at the moment. You need to do some radical things to fix that and do whatever you like, do the most weird, wonderful things. But why you then decide that this is something that you need to put on social media to sort of have, I mean, the, the, the dumbstruck look of some of those players um, told, you know, told you everything. So just do it. Do what you need to behind closed doors and and get a couple of results before you start sort of um, preaching about it. If you haven't seen it, check it out on Queen's Park Rangers YouTube because <laughs> it's, um, it's it's a it's a great comedy sketch. Yes, you have someone in traditional Maori dress teaching the players the hacker and the faces are a picture. <laughs> in particular, look out for Kenneth Parle, okay, because he has absolutely no idea what is going and on. He, did, well, he didn't play that game, I'd say. <laughs> the, the joke is that he was still in the state of shock, basically, <laughs> um, judging by his face, but yeah. Um, I don't know what's going to get him out of the hole, but um, the hacker isn't clearly part of it. Are they going down? Um, like, I was going to say, <laughs> like the Premier League, I mean, luckily there might be three three worse teams, but it's. Uh, I think they're, they're on the, 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 the. I think I read this morning again, might be Bills Connolly, the only team in the Football League that hasn't won at a, a home game as for as long as um, Rishi Sunak's been pr- uh, Prime Minister. <laughs> so there you go. A hot um, take. Yeah little bit of a gap so that's the only thing that gives me some faith that Queen's Park Rangers will stay in the division actually um, the points they accrued earlier on in the season under Mick Beale are still keeping don't, them winning don't, <laughs> don't mention that name anyway it's been a pleasure to be with you all uh, once again Gregor Robertson Alison Rudd and Matt Dickinson thank you very much thank you all for listening it's Monday so make sure you check out the game pick up a paper uh, you can also of course check it out online so make sure you download the Times app wherever you get your apps from uh, and you can also subscribe to the game online the times.co.uk forward slash the game champions league football on the horizon we'll be back with you on thursday see you then VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone.